guys, welcome back to the One Broke Actress Podcast. I am your host, Sam Valentine, bringing you episode 11 of season 6. I think last week on the intro I said season 9. We'll get there. <laughs> All right, guys, this is the second to last episode of this season. So, it's a doozy. We saved some of the best for last. Let me just start out by saying that this episode is very, very highly, almost all entirely talk about being a union actor. However, if you are a non-union actor or a pre-member or SAG eligible, I think it's almost as important, if not even more important, for you to listen to this episode so you are fully informed on your choices when you do join SAG. Because this week we are talking all about FICOR, what it is, the ramifications of it, and what happens when you make that kind of a choice. I am a very, very proud union member. I worked my ass off to get into SAG, and I am so, so excited to be a part of a group of professionally working actors, and FICOR is not something that I am interested in. However, since I posted about it, I've had people come out and tell me their stories about why they made certain choices to do certain things and I just got to tell you that there is the lid for every pot. There is a circumstance for every loophole and I think it's it's just you're the most powerful actor when you are the most informed you can possibly be. And to preempt this even more, when I started looking up FICOR, I wanted to write an article about it or do something like that because we are seeing more and more jobs make difficult choices in this COVID time about whether they can handle union standards, what are the union standards, things are getting a little confusing, and I couldn't find really good information uh, until I talked with Sean. And you guys remember Sean from last season. We're going to go into his intro here in a minute, but I just want to drive home the point that I, I love my union and I want the best for it. And I joined committees this year because of it. And I have learned more than I ever have before. Right now I am reading every article I can find on the uh, voting that we have due on July 22nd uh, for the new TV theatrical contract. So it's our job to be informed about our job. I will attach articles below that we reference in this podcast as well as articles I have found about the SAG commercials, I'm sorry, the theatrical TV contract that is being voted on. If you guys don't know what I'm talking about, please ask me on Instagram. I'll send you even more information, but that vote is due July 22nd. So mark your calendars, get your information in order. All right, let's get into it. Today's podcast guest is Sean Sharma. Sean is a former casting sessions director. He is an extremely active member of SAG-AFTRA. He's on the LA local board. He is in charge of the LA SAG Conservatory, and he also founded the Storytellers Conservatory. You might remember him from his previous episode, season five, episode seven, uh, where he came on and talked so many things about his acting career, about the union, about his opinions on different policies, about politics. We talked about so much stuff. Here's the thing. <laughs> his episode had previously was very, very polarizing to a lot of people. You guys either fucking loved it or you did not enjoy it and let me know. So we're going to do it again. <laughs> but... I just want to let you guys know in advance that everything Sean says is formed on his opinion. It is what he has learned from his time, from his research, 
from what he is working on now. He has put in a lot of the work to get these opinions, so I'm not debunking them by any means. I'm just letting you know that, yes, a lot of the things we're going to talk about are factual things, like what exactly FICOR means and the logistics of it. However, I just think it's important to keep an open mind. I have sent this episode to some SAG staff and reached out and asked if they wanted to comment, if they um, want to add an opinion. I'm open to recording a podcast with them as well. Keep that in mind. (laughs) But today we are talking all about FICOR or financial core. There's a lot I didn't know about this. I have never been able to find a lot of sources about this. I have a lot of actors ask me questions about when to join the union. I'll link the article I wrote about that in the show notes as well. But I didn't know a lot about this topic. And Sean's going to tell us everything he knows from working inside the union about what it means to be FICOR, what it does to your union status, what it does to your auditions, the thought process that you should go through before you make this kind of decision. And, you know how it impacts your future and potential future in the union. This is a really important episode, I think, because with everything that's going on with COVID, we don't know when we are really going, quote unquote, back to work. We don't know if business as usual, I'm doing a lot of air quotes, is actually going to be a thing in the next year. Shit's kind of fucked up, guys. So I wanted to talk about the honest truth of what this all means and what it means for you guys as individual actors. I, myself... I'm not going FICOR. I love my union and I plan to stay with it and help to make it better and more robust. Sean shares a lot of his opinions about the union in this episode, some of which you might not agree with, like I said, but some of which might resonate in a place with you that you hadn't thought about before. Obviously, do your own fact-checking, do your own research, develop your own opinions, but uh, I think you're going to have your eyes open to a lot of interesting things in this episode. So, without further ado, please enjoy for the second time, Sean Sharma. But yeah, I think with everything that's going on... um, and the weirdness of not having regulations and rules and stuff that are like a hundred percent, everything's like suggested. I think talking about something about FICOR is more important now than ever because mm-hmm. uh, most people don't understand what it is. I mean, just, I had to read up on it and your article to understand kind of how it works. Uh, and I think when you start in SAG, a lot of times you don't understand that you're kind of, it's like getting a tattoo, (laughs) Mm -hmm. like removing it is harder than you think. And you don't necessarily want to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, you know, it's a bigger commitment that I think that is realized. So I'm, I'm really excited to talk about that today. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad to talk about it too. And then if there's any other questions you have, because, you know, I remember we were going to talk about the letter. That's the reason that we even, you know, started, you know, the first podcast together, we just gotten taken, uh, we just ended up having so much fun talking about other stuff. We never got into what's actually happening within the union. And now with what's happened since COVID hit, it's absolutely beyond the pale. It's, it's insane. And so um, I was just on a call <clears throat> before this with the casting director and with the member who's also a filmmaker. And uh, they were beside themselves about the lack of clarity for how any of us are supposed to move forward and continue to create art during this time. And the fact that we're all in the dark about that is is unnecessary and really a shame. Um, so, you know, if there's if you want to just keep it to FICOR, we can keep it to FICOR. But, you know, um, if you have any questions, even if you want to talk about it, apart from what's recorded for the podcast, if you just wanted to talk about it, you and I uh, happy yeah. to, to do that. 
Okay. Awesome. Great. Yeah. We, I mean, let's, let's chat and I can always split it up into two bonus episodes or something. We can whatever you want to play. Um, okay, cool. Well, let's, let's start out basically. Um, I'll have introed your uh, episode before this that they mm-hmm. should start there to get to know you. Um, and then bring me into how, so how did you come to know so much about FICOR in the first place? Well, my beginning in union volunteerism was in the conservatory. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, obviously in an educational capacity, people would constantly bring up those questions when, you know, they're being asked by their agents or being recommended by casting directors, like, Hey, you know, you might consider going financial core because then I can get you more work. And, you know, especially with the, the commercial world continually going more and more non-union over the last, you know, like 10, 15 years, uh, it got, you know, to the point where just about every member had questions about financial core. When we'd have the summer intensive, people would raise their hands and say, what about FICOR? And um, every class, what about FICOR? Uh, and there's so much misinformation about it out there. And they're, they're, it's because um, SAG and SAG after just never want to talk about it. They never want to have a conversation about financial core because they don't want people to know that it exists. They're, they're, the fear is that if people know it exists, that people are going to want to do it. And I don't agree with that because I think people are getting the wrong information about it that actually makes it more attractive sounding than it actually is. And mm-hmm. so by people recognizing exactly what it is that they're doing, even the most simple fact of all, which is you know, that when you choose to become financial core, you resign from the union. You are rejecting union membership. You are not a member. There is no such thing as SAG core. You're not some kind of special category of member. You are not a union member. You are non-union again. You just pay fees to be able to work on union sets because you have a federally protected right to work um, that the union can't deny, uh, but you cannot claim to be a member of the union. Um, so th- just the fact that people continually mess up that nomenclature, like, oh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a FICOR member. There's no such thing. You're not a member. If you're a FICOR, you're a non-member. That's the actual legal name is you're a fee paying non-member. And, and the fact that FICOR isn't even a SAG thing, uh, FICOR is applies to every union in the country. So they're just basic things like this that people aren't aware of because they're getting the wrong information from you know, casting directors from other actors, from uh, agents, and those questions would constantly come up in the classes that I'm teaching. And then, of course, as a casting professional for many years, working for many casting directors, of course, we would have a non-union day that we were doing some non-union casting, and uh, we'd see people that um, it says on their information, this person is FICOR. And you're like, oh, wow, they're like, you know, why are they FICOR? Why aren't they just a member of the union? And the, the fact that you, sometimes we would see um, union members coming in on non-union days and they haven't actually resigned. They're just, you know, choosing to what we call work off the card, which is, you know, to betray the union agreement that you won't accept non-union work if you're a union performer. So it's something that I was constantly aware of as a casting professional. Then as I got involved in education, it kept coming up. And the fact that the union would never want to talk about it. In fact, the article that you read I had written it an entire year earlier. And the reason Mm -hmm. I didn't release it is because uh, Gabrielle Carteris, our our current national president, and David White, our national executive director, both called me into their offices for long meetings specifically to ask me not to publish that article because they did not want that information to be out there. 
So, but the article was anti FICOR basically. Right. But they just didn't want any, they didn't want anybody out there talking about it whatsoever. They wanted to be the only ones to talk about it, but they refused to talk mm -hmm. about it. So uh, I said to them, when I met with them, you know, a couple of years ago, I said, I'll give you a year. You don't want me to publish this. I'll give you a year and let's see what the trends are. Let's see if more people are resigning. Let's see if the problem gets worse. And over the course of the year, the problem got much worse. We kept hearing more and more people going FICOR, more and more people being confused. We saw things come out that were spreading the misinformation. And so at a certain point, um, I made the decision that this information needs to be out there. Yeah. Did you get backlash from them for putting that out there? Um, I don't, I can't recall any specific backlash because the article was really, like I read a draft of that um, article for Union Working, which is this, you know, group of uh, proactive, um, independent, nonpartisan union members who were instrumental in the innovation behind the new commercial contract that we negotiated last summer. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people were aware of it and knew, and were, you know, real supporters of the language in it. And when it's, once it's out there, it's out there. I mean, Gabrielle and David White have both, had both read the text, so they weren't surprised what it was out there. So, so they, they, I didn't really get any backlash because I think they kind of knew I gave them that heads up warning. It was out there. It, it's the conversations. If you read the comments at the bottom of the article, I did um, read some of those. You know, like <laughs> I want to talk people, about some of them. People really appreciated that information. So I think, you know, in this case, it probably would have been unconstructive once it's already out there to try to give me any kind of grief about it. Yeah. Well, let's take people who aren't going to take the time to read the article. <laughs> sure. Let's take them through. Uh, let's say we have actor Sam, right? Actor Sam joins the union. She's having trouble finding work. Um, it's been like a year and her agent, someone is like, you know, there's also an option to do this. So let's say actor Sam considers going FICOR. What does that mean for her? Well, first off, um, there's, you know, like they say in, in medicine, right? Like there's, there's preventative medicine and then there is actually treating somebody when they come in with something. But ideally you want to prevent someone from ever needing to seek, you know, medical help because they're healthy and they're taking care of themselves. So it's not our members fault necessarily because it's a failure of leadership in our union that we don't have a more robust onboarding process that educates people um, about what they're joining when they join the union and what mm -hmm. rules mean and what financial core is. And um, yes, because a lot of people don't even know when they join the union that they can't do non-union work. They don't understand global rule one. They don't know how it applies around the world to projects that they shoot in other countries. Like there's just so much confusion and our orientation isn't mandatory. And a lot of locals in our, our, our union, in our country, um, they don't have regular orientations at all for members. And mm. we represent so many different types of members, you know, not just actors, but stunt performers and broadcasters and, and uh, you know, dancers and singers. And, and, you know, these different performers have different contracts and they work in different ways. And we don't have orientations for those specific categories. So where are they supposed to get that information at all? Right. And so a big problem is people not knowing what they're joining when they join. But then if, if somebody, say, has just joined because, you know, they booked a job, their agent said, hey, you have to join the union if you want to continue to do stuff. So they joined. They never really got educated. Now they're suddenly they see that um, 
because you know one thing that I educate people about is that the non-union pool, especially theatrically, but also commercially, the non-union world is a different set of casting directors, a different world entirely. Like the, the major theatrical casting directors, they only work on high budget union projects by and large. So if you're doing a lot of non-union theatrical work, you're probably working with casting directors that specialize in that kind of stuff. So yeah. when you then join the union, those casting directors that you spent all that time building relationships with may not have a lot of work for you because that's not really the world they swim in. So yeah. um, I, I think there's, there's so much to consider when that topic comes up because you know, just because your your agent, and this is something that you know, I know you maybe wanted a simple answer, but it's not a simple topic. But but one of the things we have to bear in mind is that your agent actually uh, has their own agenda, and it doesn't matter how much you like your agent, how much you guys are buds, friends, whatever. At the end of the day, it is a business relationship, and that agent has to, especially if they have staff, if they're the owner of an agency or whatever. They have, you know, numbers to hit. They have, they have to bring in income, and they, uh, they are looking at, hey, eighty percent of the commercial work has gone non-union. Okay, I want a piece of that money, so I got to try to get as many of my actors to go, you know, financial course, so that I can submit them for everything. And yeah, even if the, a lot of those jobs don't pay as much or don't pay residuals, I don't care. I need money now. I want money now. And there's actually uh, illegal practices that some of them engage in called double dipping, where not only can they take 20% as opposed to 10% of non-union work commission, but they also get paid a, an agency fee from the client. So they get paid you know, an aggregate, sometimes 40% of what should have been a 10% commission, um, which is actually illegal in the state of California. People can report their agents if they're engaged in that process. But how many people want to report their agents for violating that, you know? So, uh, so there's all kinds of incentives for a agent to try to monetize you even against your own best interests. And they've kind of screwed themselves in this way because by encouraging people to undermine the union by doing non-union work, they only empower non-union producers to be able to find good talent for less. And then they keep accepting lower and lower rates and it, it drives the prices down for everybody. So even agents are making less money. Um, even when they're charging 40% because the total payout that they're, that, that it's based on is less because they're all undercutting each other. So, right. I think the biggest non-union commercial I did was like $2,000 and it was yeah. a huge national ad. So that's insane. Yeah. And so, uh, it, you know, it's a, the, when you have to be very careful about who it is that is advising you because an agent works for you, they make their money off of you. So, you know, their interests are not completely aligned with your own. You know, the same thing with casting directors. Casting directors work for production. They work for their clients. Yes, they, uh, you know, many of them, if not most of the ones I know, love actors, love what they do. But at the end of the day, they're not employed by the actor. They're employed by the producer. And so their first obligation is to serve the people that are paying them. And so... You know, I remember I was working for a casting director and we were doing callbacks and the clients were in the room and an actor came in and uh, was brilliantly improvising some amazing dialogue. And the uh, clients for the rest of the day, every new actor that would come in the room, they'd say, oh, say these lines, which they took from that other actor that had been in there who was doing it, you know, uh, from their own brilliance. Mm -hmm. And and then uh, I went to the casting director and I said, hey, this isn't okay because they're using the other person's 
you know, uh, ideas, dialogue, um, you know, if they use this dialogue in the spot, then that actor should get writing credit because they're helping to change the spot. And she said, don't make a big deal of it. We work for the producers, not for SAG. And I was like, that was just a reminder. Again, just know, like, yeah. there are a lot of people in this industry that make their money off of us. And we have to look out for ourselves and our own value. Because even if we're friends with casting, even if we're friends with agents or managers, we're the talent. Directors are the talent. Writers are the talent. You know, we have to look out for ourselves. So when somebody's advising you to go financial core, be really cautious about who it is that is advising you and what their motives are because probably what they're interested in is their own bottom line, not what's best for your career. Um, and, and I uh, think that's true for initial um, union joining as well. Like this, this same agent that I was with for this early, the, all these early on non-union commercials, uh, had you clear with them, they were like, let us know if you're thinking about joining the union and you would have like a sit down. <laughs> and mm -hmm. it was very obvious that they didn't want actors to, right? Like it was, they made it pretty clear. Um, so I think, so who would you tell, like just for this little piece of segment, who would you tell actors, you know, to look to when making these decisions? Because if you feel like you can't really trust your agents, that not to trust, but for this kind of guidance, um, especially when you're like non-union or considering, you know, that kind of a thing, who would you direct them to? Honestly, I would direct them to people like me. Okay. You know, people like you who are who are educating themselves and now you've begun your journey into union leadership. You know, you're starting to participate in the committee structure and who knows where that's going to lead you. Me, it led me into being in in union leadership. And so you want to talk to people that know the information about what it is. And you also want to talk to people who are successful working performers who've been able to support themselves with their artistry. Um, because they, maybe they're doing something that you're not doing that accounts for why they are, because <clears throat> you wouldn't go financial core, you wouldn't even consider it if you were thriving as a performer and making plenty of income from your great union work, right? Of it's, on, it's only people who feel like they want to be, you know, that they're not already working enough, you know, that they feel like they need to even consider resigning from their union. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like the thing that we were all thrilled to join because now you're in the same union as your favorite stars and, you know, performers and all that. Why would you want to leave that brotherhood and that sisterhood unless you were desperate, you know? Well, and I think you made a good point saying that it's a different set of casting. It's like, it's a new level to build your network at because when I first joined SAG, I was like, I think I made a huge mistake because I didn't get auditions for a long time. I didn't, I, I felt like I made a huge, huge misstep because I was like, what am I doing? I used to go out like five times a week and now I can barely get one audition a week, which is a, uh, obviously a whole discussion about projects being union, but, uh, knowing that you have to rebuild at a higher level. It's like the next, you know, uh, I think it's Audrey helps actors who always talks about a video game. Uh, and it's like, you're at the next level. So things are going to be harder and you have to work harder to get there. Um, I think that's important. Yeah. To I don't necessarily think it's going to be harder. It's just, you know, my, my guess is when you did, when you did join, that you probably did not avail yourself of everything that the conservatory and the foundation and that the union's different sister organizations had to offer to oh, help. I have no idea. 
Right, because that would accelerate your ability to network within this new community, you know, mm -hmm. and especially the conservatory in LA as we've been, you know, revitalizing it, rebuilding it over the last four years, we have CSA casting directors coming in and teaching free classes, you know, we, we bring in top industry performers and guests and, you know, people that you would, like, you know, we had Jason Alexander in, we had Brian Cranston, you know, Martin Sheen, like these incredible performers that come in and you're learning from people that have been successfully doing it that are stars that we aspire to have careers like them. So part, again, that's part of the onboarding process. Why aren't we informing our members when they join that, hey, this, it's going to be a different world now that you're in the union pool. And so here are all the resources you need to avail yourself of so that you can establish, establish yourself within this community sooner rather than later. Otherwise, if you just join the union and sit back and wait for the phone to ring, it's, it's like- Yeah, it literally not, exactly what I did. <laughs> and no one can blame you for that. And, and again, I would put the responsibility for that on union leadership to do a better job of making sure we take care of new members. Because the union's really interested in your money when you join. They're not so interested, you know, the way this union has been led and making sure that you have every advantage to become successful in everything the union can do to connect you with casting directors, with, with vetted agents, vetted managers, introduce you to writers, introduce you to directors. That's what we're doing in the LA local now um, to help people uh, make that decision to join the union. And also because, you know, agents have a point. You know, managers have a point. Casting directors have a point. There is a really strong case to be made that SAG-AFTRA has not been doing a very good job of serving its members. So why would the entire community that's all around just, you know, work and casting and this and that, you know, if, if the union was doing such a great job, they would be saying, join the union right now, get into it, jump on that moving train. That's where all the money is, get there. And it used to be like that. Right. Like there was a time when SAG was really prestigious and it's like, man, people couldn't wait to join. And gosh, that's that's everyone was so proud when they got their SAG card. Now people literally have to be like, oh, do I have to join? Oh, I don't know if I want to do that because voiceover is so non-union commercial has so gone non-union and the what the earning potential has gone down. Um, I think I was eligible for two years before I joined. Well, I was eligible for a long time because I, I became eligible in Minnesota and there was no union work in Minnesota. There, I did three SAG nationals when I was in Minneapolis over 10 years. That's not enough to sustain yourself. So I did like 100 non-union projects and I only joined the union when I moved out to LA. And then I'm like, well, now I'm in the big leagues. This is where I want to I want to only work on you know union projects. And so I joined in 2007 and I never looked back. But I had been eligible, I think, for six or seven years before that, mm -hmm. you know, but in the secondary market. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, it's, th that's the, that's the tough thing is, is, you know, agents have a point, managers have a point, casting directors have a point. If your union isn't serving you well, why the hell join, you know? And I think we talked about this in our first conversation is that, but you have, you know, you have a choice as a performer to either be on the sidelines and not try to set things right, or you can get involved in the fight because it is your union. Ultimately, if you're a member, yeah. this is your union. And you have the power to get in and change these things. And I'm here to tell you that one person can make an enormous difference. One person can't and shouldn't make all the difference, but one person can make an enormous difference. So don't feel like it's this big behemoth and that we can't change things because we absolutely can. But, you know, most people don't show up and participate and that's why this stuff can continue. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's talk. Um, okay. So uh, join the union. So Sam back in the day joins 
uh, it doesn't go well. She doesn't know what to do. She doesn't take advantage of the opportunities that the union does offer. I don't even think I ever took an orientation, <laughs> like just completely sheet to the wind. Um, I decide to go FICOR. So I file paperwork. Yeah, you have to, uh, you know, send a written notice into the union saying that you're electing to go financial core and that you were resigning from the union. Um, and then the, so you, we actually have a staff person who is um, dedicated to fielding those types of inquiries and handling okay. that department. So you would have a conversation with that staff person, make sure what they need. And then at that point, uh, you are uh, no longer a member of SAG-AFTRA. You get that confirmation from them. And, and now you are a non-union actor who has the federally protected right to work on a union set if you can get the work. So does that mean that you could go to union auditions? Yeah, you are technically uh, allowed to work um, on uh, union projects because if, you are, if you're going financial core, that means you're still agreeing to pay fees. Is that the regular SAG fees? Well, so standard, let's make it a dis let's make a distinction because the words uh, the matter when it comes to uh, financial core. Members pay dues. Okay. So whenever you hear the word dues, that is something that only a member pays. So uh, FICOR uh, performers are not members, so they don't pay dues. They pay fees, and so the and the fees that they pay are slightly like one, two, three percent less than the dues that members pay because they are not they are not obligated to pay for quote unquote non-representational activities, which means, you know, if you still want the right to work on a union set, even though you're FICOR, you still have to pay for the collective bargaining and enforcement duties of that union. Um, you don't have to be a member, you don't have to pay for any of the other things that they do, like if they do, you know, conservatory stuff, if they do any kind of political activism or any of the money that they spend on stuff that hasn't, that doesn't have anything to do with contract negotiation and enforcement, like mm -hmm. you don't have to pay for that stuff, but that's a really small percentage of the overall operational budget of the union. So, and that's actually where FICOR gets its name. You're still obligated to pay for the financial core aspects of collective bargaining. Got it. So, so that's when you pay fees that are almost as much as our annual dues as members. And then you have a right to work on a union project if you can get the opportunity. And the reason why I say it that way is because uh, what we have found internally from all of our research is that when somebody elects to resign and go financial core, first of all, you can't put you know, SAG on your resume. You can't claim to be a union member, you're not. Um, and that hurts people too, because when they're trying to get representation and they see somebody sees you're not a member of the union, they're like, what's the deal? Um, and because it's a very union heavy town, right? Like the mm -hmm. Writers Guild, Directors Guild, you know, um, IATSE, uh, you know, the Teamsters, AF of M, you know, Leuna, IBEW, um, you know, we have all these different entertainment guilds and unions. It's a very union heavy town mm -hmm. and, and nobody wants to, uh, proudly say out there that they are anti-union, that they rejected their union. <laughs> because, they, you know, they're, sometimes people who have chosen to resign get treated really poorly. You know, a, a lot of members of SAG-AFTRA would call people who resign traitors, scabs, you know, they're weakening the solidarity of the union, they're not holding the line, they still get to benefit from those of us that do hold the line because the union contract set 
you know, precedents and set the rates that are undercut by non-union productions. So uh, it weakens all of us when good performers choose to make themselves available for cheap. Mm. Um, and I think that's because a lot of people don't realize that, you know, the union just sets the floor. Like the union is there to set scale, which is the minimum. You can always negotiate over scale. That's one of the reasons why the big stars don't really need the union is because they don't work for scale. So, you know, that's why they're not more engaged. We're the ones who need the minimum, at least scale. So if you're willing to work for less than scale, my God, you're going below the floor that has been set by the other professionals in the industry through a very democratic member-led, actor-led performer-led process, you know, because all of our negotiating committees are members, they're performers. Right. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I say it's, it's, if you can get the work, because, you know, a lot of people, a lot of directors, writers, you know, et cetera, they don't want to work with non-union people because they're union strong. They don't want to reinforce that uh, people should do that because they don't want that happening in their own communities in the, in the director's guild or the writer's guild. So uh, what ultimately ends up happening in the commercial world more than anything else is that, uh, you know, some casting directors love their FICOR actors because they know when they have a non-union job that comes along, <clears throat> these are good actors that are going to work for less. And right. so it's like all FICOR people for this non-union job, which means people who are FICOR are actually preventing non-union performers who never had the opportunity to join the union from booking non-union work. But then, oh, I didn't even those, think about that. But those those FICOR actors also are not, are not being brought in for the union jobs, even though they could technically do them. Yeah. Like most casting directors would rather use actual SAG after members for the SAG after jobs and use FICOR actors for their non union jobs because it's all about quality, right? And it's yeah. also like, and and casting directors you know, especially the ones that I know love actors and they, they support the union. They appreciate the, the, the union. They want actors to thrive because think about it this way. Everybody wins uh, when actors make more because the more actors make, the more they can afford to do this full time as a job, which means they can keep their craft strong. They can keep their schedules available. It makes it easier for everybody on the casting side, the agency side, um, on the acting side, if actors are thriving. Oh my God, um, the amount of appointments I wouldn't have had to change if I didn't have to work four jobs. Right, right. It's better for everybody when we're thriving. I mean, obviously you don't want to have a culture where actors are making an insanely unjustifiable amount of money, but that's really not ever been the case. Um, so really, uh, you know, s uh, casting directors tend to save union jobs for union actors. They tend to use uh, FICOR actors for non-union jobs. Um, and so if you can get the opportunity... Yeah, you're welcome to it. But we see that most people who go FICOR, their union earnings drop. Mm -hmm. So if okay. you think you're going to be getting, oh, I can have my cake and eat it too. I can both do union jobs and non-union. It's like, yeah, but you're probably going to get a lot less union work because most people don't want to work with non-union talent on the theatrical side. Commercially, they're going to use you for mainly non-union stuff. So you're just kind of going back to the non-union world um, for the most part. When someone is FICOR for a period of time, can they rejoin and what is that process? Well, the union will say this. The union will say that when you elect to go FICOR, you're making a permanent decision. Okay. Now, there is a process to petition to rejoin and there actually is a committee called the Reinstatement Committee. And that's the committee that basically will hear somebody out and say, hey, 
I made a mistake. I want to come back. And they'll be like, okay, well, tell us why. Why did you leave? Why do you want to come back? And they'll actually make a decision whether um, there's any, you know, penalty for you rejoining, like you need to repay your initiation fees, or you need to actually pay, you know, pay in penalty some of the money you made from these non-union jobs. Because for example, you know, we have uh, one person resign, do like a $50,000 overseas non-union commercial thing, and then immediately try to rejoin again. And they're like, well, that sucks. You can't just like, I'm in, I'm out, I'm in, I'm out, I'm in. It's like, okay, well, if you want to come back, then we got to make it hurt so that you don't use us like that because it's not okay. Right. Um, so that's up to that reinstatement uh, committee to make that determination. But when you make the decision to go financial core, the union considers that a permanent decision. I will say all of us want to be in union with other loyal, amazing, talented artists. We don't win as a union by finding excuses to kick people out or to keep people out. We want to have everybody on board. So there tends to be lenience for people who have, who have done it one time, right? Like, like they did it because their agent told them to, or they didn't really know what they were doing when they did it, or they just got scared and desperate, but now they realize that they really want to be part of this community. It's like, okay, so there's more lenience in that case. Um, yeah. But if it's somebody who's already resigned and come back and they've resigned again, it's like, you know, I, we just don't trust your, I mean, if you think about what a union is, a union only exists if we, if we hold a line, if we draw a line in the sand and we say, you can't cross this line, because if Sean crosses this line, I reduce Sam's value. You know, if we're going to stand there and say we're worth a thousand dollars a day, and then Sean will go work for $200 a day. What does that say about our value? then obviously we're not worth a thousand dollars a day because many of us will take $200 a day. So that it really hurts everybody. And I think that's why it feels so unfair. I think that's why people are really negative towards people who've elected to go financial cores because you've cheapened me. You didn't just cheapen you, you cheapened me at the same time. And that's not okay because mm -hmm. there is a minimum value that I am worth. Um, so that's, it's, it's kind of a, which is interesting because, you know, we're, we're very used to caring for each other when we're on a show, right? When you're the cast of a show or a play or something, you look out for each other, you take care of each other. But then when we're not in a show together, we can think so selfishly or self-focused. And it's not even because we're being bad people. It's because like, it's hard. What we do is hard. We need multiple employers. We need, you know, we don't know where our next job or paycheck is coming from. And if you're not sustaining yourself, it's like, well, geez, I, I don't want to go back to serving. I don't want to go back to, you know, working an hourly retail job and trying to sh juggle shifts and whatever it is. I want to act. And so if I have to work for a little bit less, but it helps me keep my, you know, focus on acting full time, then I, maybe I got to make that decision. So I understand that, but um, it's not a justification for the big picture of where we're trying to go and what a union is supposed to be about. We're supposed to be able to rely on each other when you join. My God, if you're going to pay three grand to join and you're going to pay all this money in, in dues and et cetera, it's like, Let's try to work within the system we have, you know? Yeah, I would prefer not to pay that money again. Thank you very much. <laughs> that's right. Um, I think that's really interesting that it's a, it's like a trial by your peers, basically, that the committee, uh, reinstatement committee is, is, is a committee, so it's fellow members. Well, because um, that's the union. I think that's I mean, I amazing. I think the, the, the point we have to keep reinforcing to people is that, that the union is us. Yeah. Right? So, and our union is led by us we elect each other to be in positions of leadership to guide the union now we pooled a bunch of money together so we can hire staff 
but our staff have to listen to us. The staff don't do whatever they want. They have to get everything approved by member leaders at different levels, whether it's locally or nationally. So absolutely it should be a jury of your peers or a committee of your peers because they ostensibly, since they're members, are performers too and they will understand the situation. If you're just going up against attorneys, you know, then they're not going to give you any lenience. They're not going to care. They're going to be like, you know, but you can talk to another actor and say, dude, like this was the extenuating circumstances. Like I have mm -hmm. a dear friend who's, who's, uh, you know, family member passed away and it put a greater burden on her to support her family. Mm -hmm. And so she, and she was primarily a model and there were issues with her losing modeling jobs because there was a non-union video segment attached to it. And so she had to turn those down. Um, and now we have a waiver for that. But at the time that waiver didn't exist. And so she was just losing work hand over fist and she couldn't afford to not take care of her mom and her brother. So she ended up having to make that tough decision and she hated it and she resents it. That's the perfect kind of person that you would want to hear out and be like, yeah. okay, those circumstances, we can understand those circumstances. So, um, you know, let's look at reinstating you if, if you want to rejoin. What would you say to someone right now? Because I know a lot of actors are, we're all at home. We're all trying to figure out, you know, there's no, we, the SAG and the and DGA and WGA released their, um, the safer way forward. Um, so we have like a, a basic idea of what it might look like to go back to work. And granted, we're recording this on, you know, June 24th. So in a week, things might change. But what do you, what would you say to an actor right now who is considering uh, non-union work because they know that might start up faster or that might have more happening or have like less regulation so they can get back to work in this crazy time? Well, that's a tough question because I was actually dealing with that just uh, an hour before our call with another filmmaker who's struggling with that very same issue because this filmmaker even wants to do everything right, but they're not getting consistent good information from our union about what they can and cannot do. And there's been a lot of, you know, conflicting information and distressing information that's come out of our national leadership saying things like, you can't go back to work unless you get our permission and weird things like that. Now they'll say it's all about keeping people safe, but there isn't a consensus on how a lower budget project is supposed to comply with the rules that have been put out that- Right, I have a lot of questions about that for SAG. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, and I will do my best to answer what I can, but part of what we're dealing with, and this is a, a, an update letter that I put out about um, a month and a half ago, where I updated members on what has transpired in our union since March, um, which essentially has made our union a dictatorship. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the, 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 the decisions of our national president, Gabriel Carteris, has been absolutely unconscionable. It's, it's so, it, 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 it ma it's makes me so upset, it makes me sad. It doesn't even make me angry, it just makes me sad. And it makes me sad because instead of unleashing the brilliance of all of these uh, member leaders around the country, the, the committee members, the national or the local board members and staff, in, in, instead of empowering us, informing us, including us in the conversation and allowing us to serve our members when they need us the most, 
We had an absolute consolidation of power. Gabrielle shut down all the locals from operating, wouldn't let us do a single thing. We still to this day can't do a single thing uh, to serve our members, uh, not to inform them about how they can create content, not to help educate them and keep them sharp so we come out of this stronger. We've all been shut down and she even suspended the national board and, and transferred all of the power into a small group called the National Executive Committee's hands. And, and, and then she even had them transfer power into her and David White's hands under something called the Resource Conservation Plan where 34 national committees have been suspended and transferred that power and jurisdiction to just her and David White making decisions as uh, two people or somebody they designate. But what that ultimately means is that our entire community of 162,000 performers is being controlled by essentially one person at the top. And that means that local board members like myself and even national board members are not being communicated to. We have a low budget committee at the national level that should be all over trying to figure out how to help people who are at lower budget levels succeed and move forward in this environment. We have all these safety guidelines that were drafted, but not with any input from local boards or even national board members. It was all decided within Gabrielle's little clique or whatever it is that she's empowered within her community. And I was in conversation with our senior contract officers in the beginning of this whole pandemic saying, let's get out information to our members about what contracts they can use, how they can create content, what provisions don't apply when you're shooting in your home with your own equipment, you don't need certain types of insurance, et cetera. And he was all excited, so it's a great idea. And then he ran it up the flagpole, which means up to the executive level, like Gabrielle and David White and people like that, and it didn't go anywhere. And so, you know, not only have we not been able to get information into our members' hands about how they, they can create content, we haven't been able to educate them. We haven't even been able to communicate with our members. Like I am the co-chair of the Los Angeles Conservatory. We have an amazing program. We have 40 educators. We have almost 3,000 members in the Los Angeles Conservatory that all paid $45 a year. They haven't been told. <laughs> right. But they haven't been told that in Gabrielle's wisdom, she chose to let go or fire uh, Bethlehem, who's our program manager, who was the full-time staff person devoted to the conservatory who brought in twice as much in revenue to the union at a time when the union needs revenue than she was being paid in her salary and benefits. So, so explain that one to me. Why would you let go at this time of a staff person who's responsible for a program that brings in $130,000 when your staff, when your costs are half of that? That, that, was, per, that was a particularly uh, egregious example of disempowering the locals to try to serve our members at this time. And our local staff were dying to do programming. And every time they asked, they said, nope, you're not allowed. Nope, you're not allowed. So demoralizing, so disempowering. And I haven't even been able to communicate to our 2,800 conservatory members that why we can't have a Zoom class, why we can't even, why we don't have a program manager. So I say all of that to say that, uh, what members should really be focused on right now is changing the national leadership. The, the national leadership of this union is 100% responsible for the confusion, for the lack of, of uh, understanding, um, of clarity, uh, the fact that we don't know what's going on in our own union, we don't know how to create content, we don't know what we can say yes to, we don't know any of that information. It has not been We've not been included in that conversation. It's being dictated to us from above, and it's been three and a half months, and we don't know whether we can or can't do this or that project, and are we going to get in trouble and all that. So what I feel our national leadership has done, primarily led by Gabrielle and her, her little clique, what they're doing is they're going to force people to work off the card. That's my prediction. 
Now I'm not. But if you're not going to give people clarity, they're not going to not be artists just because they're waiting for you to do your job. You know, so really what we need to do is we need to change the national leadership so that we have people that are in leadership of this union that care about keeping you informed, making sure you can continue to create art, making sure you have clarity, you have resources at your disposal that we can work with our sister guilds to make sure everybody can be, I mean, think about this. Where did everybody go when this pandemic hit to us? Everybody mm -hmm. trapped in their homes right. was consuming TV and film. Yep. If there was any time where our value could not be any more clear, it's now. Yeah. And to not be able to create art because our union doesn't have contracts that allow us to spontaneously create content, to not have any clarity about what contract provisions we can and cannot use right now to make content, it's unconscionable. So not all, we, we have members around this country literally dying and family members dying, and instead of you know, really looking out for them and taking care of them and empowering local leaders to care for them and hear from them and engage with them. We have one person at the top making decisions for everybody and excluding most of us in leadership from those decisions and those conversations. So now I'm a union strong person. I said this to you when we were together last time. Mm -hmm. I believe in working through the system. We have to fix it. But members of this union have every reason to be outraged, to question why this union is operating the way that it is, why they haven't been told about this massive consolidation of power, why that their local board members who they elected and want to represent them have been excluded from conversations, don't have basic information. Um, if that leads people to question why they're members of this union, I would not blame them. You know, why would you be a part of it as a, a, a union that prevents you from working, that excludes you from conversation, that, that you know, keeps you in the dark, um, so you can tell I'm very, I'm very passionate and I'm very disappointed and outraged by the decisions that have been made because my feeling is it's going to lead to people uh, working off the card. It's going to lead to people, you know, creating projects, not correctly using the right contracts, et cetera, because they, they, they don't know, they don't have clarity, but they, they want to tell stories. They're going to find a way to do it. So this particular national leadership style to me is, is weakening our union by making people go around the union to create content. So what would you say would be a step that actors can take now to be a part of something bigger, something better? Well, they have to reach out to people like me. They have to reach out to people like you and say, sign me up. What do I do? Mm -hmm. You know, this union can only be poorly led because we don't have enough people that are in the trenches in leadership making these decisions. We, we in Los Angeles made a huge change to our local leadership last uh, fall. I mean, my, my love for this local is could not be greater. My appreciation for people making a decision to change the local leadership for the first time in a dozen years last fall. I mean, you have an LA local board right now that is devoted to helping our members. And that's exactly why Gabrielle has been trying to shut us down and call them all again on the last election. She has completely punitively treated the Los Angeles local because we voted a lot of her political party out of power. And so it, it's, it's our staff has been treated terribly. Our local board has been treated terribly. Um, I mean, even what we found out yesterday that we're, we were able to schedule a local board meeting, the second one that we've been able to have over the last four months, um, we submitted our agenda for what we want to talk about as your elected leaders, and Gabrielle unilaterally decided what we can and cannot talk about in our own local board meeting. She took agenda items off of our agenda, which would be like Donald Trump taking agenda items off of a California legislature meeting. Like, it's not... Trump's decision what California wants to talk about. And it's not Gabrielle's decision 
what the LA local board and your elected leaders want to talk about. Because of this emergency powers that she's assumed, she is utilizing her power to do that, which is really disgusting. Um, now, why would, why, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm trying to like play devil's advocate. Why would she, or why would they, um, why would our leaders decide that that was a choice or why have they said that that was something that they chose to do? You mean the consolidation of power or do you mean deciding yeah. what we, yeah, well, the consolidation of power, uh, you know, is justified by, oh, you know, it's just too unwieldy to have a national board right now because, you know, you know, 79 people on a Zoom, you know, what are you going to do about that? I mean, it was all out of uh, absolute ignorance of, um, you know, and, and kind of fear mongering right at the beginning, like, oh, this is a crisis. We got to act fast. We can't, you know, go out to the 79 members of the national board every time we need to do something. So just give us all this unilateral power to make decisions quickly, et cetera. Um, and a lot of the national board members now regret you know, transferring that power when they did because they see what a monster they've created. It was essentially supposed to be like a temporary thing and it's lasted for three months already and there's no telling when it'll end. Um, so it, it's kind of like after you know, 9-11 and the, the Patriot Act was rushed through Congress because everybody wanted to empower you know, stopping terrorism. In this case, we have a once in a lifetime pandemic and there was a rush to just give Gabrielle and David White as much power as possible to respond quickly, not realizing that they were completely dismantling our democratic system and representation along the way. And you could never know how she was going to abuse that power once she actually had it. So, uh, you know, I'm sure that other people will say, well, you know, you know, we have to conserve our resources and we can't have staff working on things that are not core to the mission of the union right now. And we need to make sure that our, you know, our, our top, uh, president and staff person can act quickly and respond to things without having to go out and involve other leaders and slow down that process, all that. It's like, yeah, you know what? Dictatorships are really efficient. You know, they really are because you don't need to include anybody else in that decision making. So no argument for me that dictatorships are very convenient for the dictator, but we, we chose not to be a dictatorship for a reason. And that's because we need oversight. We want to make sure that you know, when you have somebody who's controlling the fates of an entire profession, that there is some oversight and participation from elected leaders of the different locals and from the different memberships. So to me, there was absolutely no justification for doing it. It wasn't necessary. Anybody who knows how to use Zoom knows how to accommodate 79 or more people on a Zoom call. It's actually not that hard. And their whole point was undermined by the fact that their entire negotiations with the AMPTP, all their executive committee meetings, everything is done by Zoom. So if it was so insecure, if it was so unwieldy, then they disproved it with their use of it anyway after getting all that power transferred. So in my view, there was no excuse for it. There is no way to, to explain that in a way that makes sense to me, unless your objective is just to essentially say, I'm fine with the dictatorship. And we actually have members of the executive committee that said, listen, I trust David and Gabrielle. I don't need to know anything. It's like you, that is to me such an abdication of your responsibility as an elected leader of this union. Yeah. Now I know we're getting a little bit off the topic <sighs> of financial core, but what I wanted to say about getting us back on track with your question was that right now, if a union member wants to go back to work, they don't have any clarity. They don't have any clarity about what they can say yes to as far as somebody else's project. Like if there's a TV series that they were on that wants to re re you know, begin production again, I, I'm sure a lot of actors are terrified that, you know, 
are they, am I going to be safe? Am I going to be exposed to something on these sets? What if there's a lapse in following the guidelines? Because it only takes one mistake for somebody to not sanitize something, for somebody to not quarantine a piece of gear, for somebody to be sick and not know it and, and somehow have a false positive on their temperature check or whatever it is. It only takes one mistake to kill somebody or to destroy an entire production. So there are a lot of people that are terrified about how they can go back to work until we have a vaccine or effective treatment for COVID-19. Mm -hmm. As it relates to, you know, getting your projects greenlit. So if you want to make your own content, it's like there isn't clarity right now about how somebody who doesn't have a huge budget that can comply with all those things is supposed to do that. So until we have that specific information, all you can do is try to extrapolate from what the white paper says for what like the big studios are doing. You can look at the LA County guidelines for what they say that we should do and comply with those. So at least the county doesn't shut you down. Um, but then we also have communication from Gabrielle saying you need my permission if you're going to go back to work at all. It doesn't matter whether it was the signatory project already before this happened. It's like now you need to re-get our permission to go back to work, which of course is absurd. And, and we also have you know, a fraction of the staff that we had before this began because we've had so many layoffs and staff hour reductions and furloughs. So I'm not even, I haven't even seen a report yet as one of your elected board members. I haven't seen a breakdown of which departments were affected, which specific staff members were let go. Do we even have business reps that can respond to people wanting to, you know, start projects right now? Have we created yeah. a technology platform to automate that so that we don't need to call and send in PDFs? and do all this antiquated stuff. Man, if we had leadership that, is, that had really created a robust technology platform for our union to operate on, then we wouldn't be in such a desperate position right now because we wouldn't have to do everything manually. You know, we have these antiquated technology systems. So I, I guess what I'm saying, and I, I know this is probably really hard for some people to hear, which is that this, this particular crisis has exposed the issues within our union to a much greater degree. It has laid bare the lack of technology, the lack of good national leadership. And so, you know, our challenge, first and foremost, if we're in this for the long haul, fix our union, get involved, get, make your voices heard, elect good leadership. Um, we have to change up the makeup of the national board next year. We have to change the national leadership at the president level next year, um, because I have serious concerns about the viability of SAG-AFTRA as an institution um, long run. I don't know if we're going to have a SAG-AFTRA in three to five years if it, considers, if it continues to operate this way. Um, and so it's time for us to step up and really get involved and get involved in committees, educate yourselves, reach out to me, reach out to Sam so that you can start to get access to this information. And I will happily turn anybody on to ways they can get involved. But now this is the long return to your answer. Mm -hmm. I hope that our national leadership responds in a way, I don't have faith that they will, but I hope that they respond in a way that won't make people have to make that decision. They won't have to say, if I wanna be an actor, I have to work off the card. If I want to be an actor, I have to work non-union. If I have to be an actor, if I want to be an actor, I have to resign and go financial the core so that I can, you know, work union whenever is possible. But since most people won't be able to pay for all the stuff they're making us do, then, you know, I'm going to have to work non-union because uh, that's a real threat right now in my view. Yeah. I mean, I think everything you're saying brings at least me back to the fact that the last thing I want to do right now is leave my union because the only thing I want to do is to make it better for myself and for everyone else. Like that's, yeah. 
for me, that's, that's what it all comes down to. Anything from, from going FICOR to, to the lack of, of organization and not knowing, like, are we ever going to do a low-budget movie in the next year? Like, I, I have no idea. That's all I've done is low-budget movies. So knowing that, like, oops, they're leaving. Um, knowing that, like, my bread and butter might be, you know, non-existent, um, it just makes me want to be a bigger part of the union. I love that. And I want to make things even worse for a second. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. <laughs> because we have to be honest. Listen, there's no point in having a conversation if we're not going to be honest about the challenges that we face. Mm. Before we ever had to deal with COVID, we were already in the middle of a war being fought by our sister guild, the Writers Guild against the ATA, which is the Association of Talent Agents, over producing and packaging. Because mm -hmm. the big four agencies have consolidated television production and big budget features to the point where 95% of it was all packaged and produced by them. So that means that we have a new, a new studio system, you know, the old studio system where you'd actually get a contract to be employed by Warner Brothers Studios and they would develop you and they would put you in all their things and they would invest in you but you belonged to Warner Brothers. Well, now we're in a, a studio system without the compensation and contract. Now, if you're a CAA client or a UTA client, they wanna use you in all their own projects, but they're not paying you to be on contract. It's just that they control your fate because they produce and package TV shows and movies themselves. And if you're not represented by one of these big agencies, goodbye to being number one, two, three, four, five on the call sheet. You're gonna be eating the scraps from the table that are left after all of their clients and then the other big 10 clients and then the other big management company clients are exhausted. And then some of those co-star and guest star roles are gonna trickle down to the B and C level agencies and managers, which are the ones that most of us use to build our careers when we're first getting started, right? They yeah. say you're gonna go out for a lot of the co-stars, guest stars, under five supporting, things like that. Well, what do you think the new safety guidelines from the East Coast to the West Coast are recommending to writers' rooms? The elimination of as many co-stars and guest stars and supporting roles and under fives to protect the main series cast. Right. So not only do we have all of these big um, agencies controlling what is being produced right now, um, and they're keeping those jobs in their own ecosystems as much as possible because then they don't have to pay commission to the actors on that and they get the back end, um, you know, they... Uh, they don't have to, yeah, they, they don't charge their agent, their, their talent commissions because they're packaging them. So they get the, the profits on the back end. Um, so the, the issue that we're facing is a lot of those jobs that we would build our careers with are going away. And so, uh, and those are the, those are the productions that even have the money to be producing, considering all the safety gui guidelines we're going to have to. Right comply with so because we as a you know as a union and again i've laid this at the feet of, of gabrielle and ken howard before her and even some of our uh, leaders through the 2000s you know the presidents that we had and the, the the factions that we had that were in control back then they created an environment where we had a breakdown in our relationship with the association of talent agents in 2002 we don't have a franchise agreement as sag after that holds agents to you know certain standards the agents went off and created their own thing called the general services agreement and they've been using that especially management companies and anybody who's with a quote-unquote franchised agent today they're using old legacy sag or after franchise agreements that were created back before sag after was even merged so we don't have a current contract that protects our members and that's a direct failure of our national leadership to allow that to continue because they've allowed these big agencies to consolidate being producers and effectively you know, taking over the industry. So uh, you know, that's another huge issue that we have to face because we have to fix things within our union. 
Um, we won't even have access to a lot of the union jobs that, for example, built my career getting to the point where I'm at. I must have done 25, 30, something like that co-stars on my way to getting towards series regular. Um, and I am very concerned about how many of those opportunities will exist for those that are, you know, coming out of uh, this COVID-19 situation. So, well, and if you read we're, we're, that uh, with that deadline article that came out like months ago, it talked about how the Spanish influenza was like the thing that kicked off the studio system. How, you know, that the only people who had money to continue, which is exactly what we're talking about, uh, were the big were the big players. And so they got to buy out all the theaters. They got to own actors, literally. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, I mean, so that that leads us to another aspect of your question. We're actors. We're going to act. We're storytellers. We're going to tell stories. It, it's even less likely that we're going to be able to go back to doing theater the way that we used to because, you know, we're not going to want to be in enclosed spaces with people without masks, et cetera. I mean, somebody will find a way to do something safe. Maybe, mm -hmm. maybe plays will be done wearing masks. I don't know. But the point is, like, can you imagine going to a crowded theater right now and watching a play? I can't. Yeah. So, you know, what we're starting to see is people doing plays on Zoom. And then they're trying to record those things. And then they're suddenly getting into the world of SAG after jurisdiction, right? Because now you re you're video recording a performance to broadcast it later. That's not a play. That's a television program or something, right. right? So we're starting to see issues of jurisdiction between Actors' Equity and sag after in that way. And I've had many members contact me and say, hey, how do we do our play on camera? And what's, how does that interact with sag after? So a lot of, I guess... The, the challenge that you've really exposed here is that unless our national leadership, and again, I as one of LA's elected members have zero input or power right now as a result of the decisions being made by Gabrielle. Um, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? Like if we want to act and, 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 the old, and the big budget stuff that can afford to comply is all consolidated amongst those big ecosystems and the names and things like that. Um, and a lot of the starter roles that we would, you know, sustain ourselves with when we're getting started and build our chops up, those are going away. Um, background is going to get decimated because they're going to yeah. eliminate background as much as possible. Um, so if we want to work, we're going to have to work on lower budget stuff. And if we don't have good solutions for lower budget productions, they're going to have to be non-union. And if we want to work at all in any of those lower budget things, we're going to have to work non-union. So what is the union going to do to protect our ability to do what we love doing on camera, considering all these challenges? Now, fucking question. <laughs> either we can sit back and wait and see what people whose, question, whose judgment I really seriously not only question but oppose, um, we can either sit and wait for them to make these decisions for us or we can get engaged and be part of those decision-making processes. And we absolutely can. I want everybody listening to this to know, don't feel powerless. We have so much power if we exert it. Um, and I'm somebody who, as you know, Sam, I really exert my own influence and participation as much as I possibly can. The more there are of people like you, me, and others who are stepping up and educating ourselves and others and getting involved, we can turn this around. But I, for one, am not going to sit around and let, you know, Gabrielle decide whether I can be an artist or not. You know, I want to engage in that conversation. So instead of me looking for the exits, I'm looking to see how can we make a better union so that we can come out of this stronger. I love that. I would, I would love to send this episode to them and see if they want to uh, chat. <laughs> I would, I listen. That would be a blast. I, really would, I would really love to see uh, the, 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 the counter viewpoint. Yeah, I, would, I love, you know? I love to, you know, I love to play both sides of the coin. I told you before, I love a strong opinion 
And uh, <laughs> that's all, that's all I want to see. And I want to have a discussion about it. But you'll notice that none of my language was uh, insulting. I didn't call anybody names. I just said I oppose this leadership. I oppose the way the decisions are being made. I completely disagree. I'm outraged. Things like that. But I'm, you know, I'm not commenting on anybody's value as a human being. I'm not insulting anybody or calling the names. I'm just saying, you know, I would, I would personally want to see this union led in a very different way than it's being led. And I think the, the proof is in the pudding because we shouldn't be so confused. You know, this is our livelihood and the organization that controls it is keeping us in the dark and we have no input and your elected leaders have no input. That's not okay. You know, so uh, what is the balancing perspective to that? Please let me know without calling me names, without insulting me and without you know, insulting our intelligence by reducing it to you know, he's a liar, he sucks, he's whatever. It's like, can you please just address the question instead of making it like, you know, uh, a personal insult, you know, a thon. Yeah, I think that's So I hope fair. you can have that conversation. But, you know, the, you know, ultimately, yeah, you know, the, the answer to me is not financial core. That to me is not the answer. I agree. You know, the answer is like, we still have value. You know, the one way, one way that I try to frame it for people is we're all part of the acting community. You know, a certain percentage of us are unionized, but a large percentage of us are not unionized yet, either because we've chosen not to join or we haven't qualified for uh, eligibility or taken these steps to become members of the union. Um, if, you know, if we had our union functioning properly and we had all those benefits, you know, like, cause right now, why would anybody join the union right now? Unless you had to, there's nothing that it's offering its members apart from contract enforcement and stuff. So I guess if you're employed and you know, you're, you're, you have to join or something like that. Like I, I, w I would not recommend anybody right now spend $3,000 when we don't even know what the future looks like to join this union. And we're not getting conservatory education. We're not getting all those other uh, member education services and things. Um, you know, let, let's see what happens before we, you know, onboard new, new people. But that's a perspective that's been shared with me. You know, like a lot of people right now are like, I don't, I think I'm going to wait to join until I see what happens with all this stuff. I think we're really going to see a lot less people join SAG-AFTRA because they don't have the money as a result of all of this unemployment to be able to pay $3,000 or even pay their dues. I mean, we have so many people stressed about having to you know, pay their dues and they were asking for dues relief and we still haven't provided any dues relief. We just said you can kick the can down the road and pay in installments, but you could do that anyway if you were struggling. Like that's nothing new. It's just, you know, fine, pay half in July, pay half in October, um, but no actual dues relief. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I so yeah, I, I just think, you know, right now, we don't know what the future of SAG-AFTRA is going to look like, but ultimately, we're going to remain a community regardless of what happens to SAG-AFTRA. And so the answer is not to minimize our value or reduce our value. The, the, the answer is, how can we make this union work for us and respect our value and, and empower us as opposed to um, making us even have the fact that we even have to have a conversation like this speaks a lot. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I, uh, I'm, I'm really excited to put this on the air. This is, this is uh, a viewpoint I have not uh, gotten to discuss with people, but I am really excited to talk about What's I hope it provokes discussion. Listen, nobody has to share my <laughs> viewpoint, but you're talking to somebody or you're listening to somebody who has been devoted for 
you know, dozens of hours a week for four years in a variety of facets in our union leadership, coming into it, not by my own choice, I was invited in by David White, our national executive director. And mm -hmm. so, you know, like, I, I'm somebody who's come in and just try to do my best to see what we can fix for the better. And this is how I feel. This is my honest feeling after being so involved is I love my union. I love my community. I love what I do. And I'm going to work my ass off to preserve it. Um, I'm also fortunate to have, be in a position with my career where I have some stability. And so I can devote all of this time. You know, not everybody has the time to devote. Um, but, you know, the financial core uh, and, and resigning from the union, to me, for all the reasons we've already discussed, I don't think that's the solution. You know, I, yeah. I, I really don't think that's the solution. Um, and, uh, I, and I don't think working off the card is the solution and working non-union as a member is, is the solution. The solution is let's get our union working for us. Let's get our union on track. Yeah, I agree. I think it's the hardest answer, but I think it's the actual answer for longevity of our careers. Yeah, you know, you can't really resign as an American, right? Like if you were... <laughs> you know, <laughs> Although we've like, thought about it recently. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, so that's when people say, I'm going to move to Canada or I'm going to move somewhere else. But it's like, you know, we've got this country for better, for worse. And we recognize, at least in the country level, that we have to engage in the political process if we want to fix the things that we uh, object to. I mean, look at the beautiful displays and the protests of solidarity with, you know, making positive changes in the world. Like that's getting engaged, you know, that's getting engaged in the political process. That isn't giving up. It's not like, oh, we don't like the way things are working. I no longer choose to be an American. It's like, you know, I, I, this is my home and I've got to do what I can. I've got to do my part to get out there, make noise and make positive change. We have to do the same thing in our union. Now it's kind of, I, I wouldn't recommend everybody go and protest outside of 5757 Wilshire. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that the same reasons why people might be out there in the streets or maybe why people are educating themselves now about how to be part of the solution with regards to, you know, the, the race issues or the police issues we're facing in our, in our country right now. You have that same obligation to do that within your own union because that's kind of our country as actors. That's our actor country. <laughs> our actor performer country. country. Uh, performer country sounds like a fun place to live. <laughs> <laughs> now, was I thorough? Do, are there any other questions about financial core that we haven't addressed? No, I feel like, I feel like we hit on all of the, all of the questions I got. I feel like we covered more than okay. enough information. All yeah. Right, good. Um, will you tell people where they can find you if they want to ask you questions, talk to you about things, get your opinions? Absolutely. I'm not hard to find. You can email me at sean at seansharma.com. Um, you can text me at 310-866-0097. If you're annoying, I'll just block you. So I have no problem <laughs> giving that out. So feel free to text uh, anytime. Um, and, uh, and then also, you know, if you want to read my letters um, that I put out to the membership that updated them on what's going on during this pandemic. Um, oh, yeah. and, we can attach them in the show notes. Yeah. Absolutely can. So that's one Great. way to access it. Otherwise, uh, you know, you can contact me and I can, I can get you that stuff. Cool. Cool, dude. Thanks for your time. This was very, this, very informative. Sam, the, the, the fact that you're doing this and that you were interested in talking about this, again, my hat is off to you. You're, you're such a light. You're doing such a great job with this podcast. Anybody who's listening to this, spread the word about this because it's, this is a, as you can imagine, um, this is not a podcast interview 
that SAG-AFTRA national leadership is going to be thrilled about. No, I didn't expect it. <laughs> <laughs> right? They're not going to be thrilled about it. And you know what? And it's not, you did, you've done nothing wrong to have this conversation. Even if you disagree with everything I've said, you've done nothing wrong just to expose you know, yourself and others to a critical viewpoint of what's going on. Lord knows we have reasons right now to feel critical of what's going on. So uh, I really hope that others follow your example and choose to engage in tough conversations um, as opposed to pretending everything's fine, everything that's being done is being done for the right reasons and, you know, just stop worrying so much and stop being such a conspiracy theorist. Like, you know, nobody could do a better job. You know, it's like, whatever. It's like, we, we, what, what every democratic institution, every society needs strong voices of dissent. If anything less, you know, than just to keep leadership on their toes and keep them honest because they know people are paying attention and people have viewpoints. Like, we need robust dissent in order for a healthy functioning community. I mean, listen, I think if actors are having conversations in, you know, their own homes and their own text groups, my goal is to put it on the air. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. I'm here for you. <laughs> great work. Great work. I'm Thank you. Great work. Thank you so much for this. I really appreciate it. And that brings us to the end of today's podcast. Sean, thank you so much for your time and your candidness. I know you are always full of strong opinions, and I think that there is no reason for anyone not to have a strong opinion about the union they give their money to that drives their job force. So I hope that you guys all feel a little more informed about what is not only going on during this time, but about how... FICOR works and how your union works on that back end. Please, if you guys have any questions, I have attached Sean below in the show notes so you guys could reach out to him. And uh, I've also attached a lot of articles about that vote that's coming out and that is due on July 22nd. You should have gotten a postcard in the mail for all my paid up SAG members that says um, your PIN number on it. The postcard you got also says vote yes. Uh, I will encourage you to do your own research and make your own decisions about voting. I think that regardless of what the mailers you get say, um, you should always do your own research no matter what. And I will keep you informed on my opinions as I do more research on Instagram. So make sure you are following at Sam Valentine, at One Broke Actress. And also please make sure if you learned anything on this podcast to rate and review this podcast. Next week... I am so excited to have a really in-depth discussion with Sadia Rashid and Brie Ely. They are two amazing female black actresses in our business. They are not only killing it, but they have beautiful, eloquent things to say about the world they live in and what we all need to know about it, how we can make it better, how we can be true allies to our fellow actors. It's a great episode, guys, and I'm so excited for it to cap off this season and this time. So make sure you guys tune in next week. As always, thank you so much for listening. This podcast was created and hosted by myself, Sam Valentine, with production help from Laurel Canyon Creative and Helena Santos. Our theme song is by the excellent Maggie Zabo, and I will talk to you guys next week. Bye.